This course is basically going to help you become your own healer, assist you in healing from narcissistic abuse, healing from anxious attachment, healing from the amnesia of forgetting that you create reality. And it's like a hyperbola towards actually creating the life that you need so that you stop living in a personal hell of your own design. It is incredibly well done. <laughs> it's very, it's a very, very good course. I highly recommend it. Um, I'm going to put the link in the description as well. If that's something that you want to do. Planet earth has been under a spell for a very, 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 very long time. And we are slowly waking up out of that spell. And that spell is the spell of feeling separate from infinite source, creation, God, spirit, blah, 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 blah. And what happens is this spell has made us incredibly transactional, has made us obsessed with getting energy from things outside of ourselves in order for us to feel connected to the collective. And this spell is coming undone. And as a result, people are kind of losing it a little bit so that they can rebuild it. We had a really intense con conjunction this week. It was between Uranus, the North Node, and Mars, all in the sign of Taurus. Taurus is our individual energetic field, our sense of self-worth and security. To have 
Mars, which is our mission and the masculine, come into contact with the awakener Uranus and the North Node, which is our learning, this feels like a masculine death. It may feel like the things that we used to lean on to gather self-esteem are no longer hitting the spot. We're not satiated. And instead, we're being called to disentangle from parasitic people, structures, false ideals, perhaps even intimate entanglements in order to become our own well and supply our own love. There is an artificially induced separation consciousness that is dying on the planet. And as it dies on the planet, it dies within you. So it's very, very important to stop casting judgment between yourself and other people. Because when we judge ourselves and other people, we are essentially pointing at reality, pointing at a person and saying, that is so distorted, that can't be divinely orchestrated. What? Who told you what was supposed to be divinely orchestrated? Who decided what was good and bad? The only thing that you have ultimate authority over is your own physical vehicle, what you put in it, and how you interact with that vessel, and how you choose to listen to it and use it as your guide when discerning whether or not you should bring said vehicle around certain people or in certain locations or certain energy. Your individual path is not going to be the same as anyone else's, and it is not up to you or somebody else to come into your field and point out where you need to improve. As this artificially induced separation consciousness falls apart, there is density that gets cleared. There is a sense of awareness that comes online, and there's also kind of like a a fear of the acceleration of that that starts to kick in. So you may find yourself having a ton of realizations, feeling really connected to source, really connected to God, really connected to love, and you're moving pretty quickly through things. You're hypersensitive, and there's a part of you that's like, oh, I got to go back to sleep. I got to go back to sleep. Got to go pick up my phone and watch Nathan Fielder and have a glass of wine. I can't accelerate too quickly. And that's just part of this process. We take like three steps forward, sometimes two steps back, stop dualizing it, stop naming it, stop trying to be the perfect high vibrational spiritual master. There are no spiritual masters. There's just you, a spirit, learning how to have love for the human experience. The other day I went on a walk down Hollywood Boulevard. I hate Hollywood Boulevard. I think it is satanic. I don't enjoy the surroundings. I don't like the smells. It's chaotic. It's really confusing. There's like a bunch of stores that sell the same things. Why do we have so many stores that sell the same things? That doesn't make any sense. But I had to go and buy something from a costume store as one normally does. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and challenge myself to have love for this place that I, for some reason, have decided that I'm better than. Why do I think that I am better than Hollywood Boulevard? Why do I think that I am above Hollywood Boulevard? Why do I think that um, I, why do I look at it and I'm like, this can't be divinely orchestrated? Played with my perception a little bit. That's kind of an analogy for where we're at. So you might be, um, 
walking through some intensity at the moment, things look chaotic and they're uncomfortable, but continue to ask yourself, how can I not judge this? How can I alter my perception? How can I have love for this? It is in fact Leo season and Leo is ruled by the heart. And basically Leo comes in to remind us of our own divinity. Leo is one of the most important signs of the Zodiac, not because of the narcissistic archetypal reputation it has, but because it's the sun and the sun is our sun, you know, it's our, it's our center of light. It's where we get information. It provides information to plants here on earth and us so that we can exist. So this is a period of time where things are illuminated. Things are very visible. On top of that, we have Lionsgate portal. Um, the day where everybody who wants to look spiritual on Instagram decides to tell you what it is. Um, Lionsgate is when the sun is very close to the star Sirius, which was considered our spiritual sun and is like a higher octave of the sun, apparently. And during this period of time, we're called to manifest and merge with the divine. I challenge you to try and manifest something outside of the confines of capitalism. Maybe go beyond that. Maybe stop asking for a job or a boyfriend and try and challenge yourself to ask for something for the collective or something that is um, more absurd and hasn't been done. We are needing to level up to stop diagnosing and judging everything as good and bad and start to see this hologram as a living part of you conspiring to bring you closer to yourself. If you don't like what you're seeing, rather than judge it, ask yourself, how is this connected to me and what's happening internally? The more we identify with being good, right, or correct, or higher in vibration, the more we create the opposite polarity. The key is to look at yourself through the eyes of Leo. You're just a child trying to figure it out. You're also a god who keeps forgetting that you're a god. And when we forget that we're a god, we like to create crisis and drama. Try and avoid that. This week's episode is with dear Isabella, who is a professional dancer, author, and founder of She is Powerful, an incredible organization supporting and empowering survivals of sexual abuse and human trafficking through dance and creativity. This was incredibly inspiring. Isabella Grusso is a physical embodiment of somebody who took their trauma and basically used it as a catalyst towards the betterment of not just herself and other people. When I met this woman, she's one of the most like physically embodied, elegant, graceful people I've ever met. She's incredibly present and hearing her story really moved me and I'm sure it will move you too. She also has a memoir called Natasha's Not My Name, which is in bookstores and on Amazon, which is the story of her double life and basically having to go through sexual trafficking and very intense, dark pockets of reality. 
Hi, Isabella. Thank you so much for joining me here today. We are in Leo season. How do you feel about Leo season? Uh, I love Leo season. Um, it just makes me feel like, okay, let's get shit done. Yeah. yeah. I definitely feel motivated. Yeah, it, it feels definitely like it's summer. I have a lot of energy. I've been feeling pretty amped up. We've had like a lot of intense astrological transits the past month. And um, I love Leo season. I'm a Leo. Oh, wait, when's your birthday? It's next week. What are you going to do? Um, I think I'm going to have like a fairy themed extravaganza. That's right. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Fantasy. We all need a bit of fantasy. Mm-hmm. When's your birthday? Uh, June 30th. Oh, what yeah. did you do? Um, I did a dance class for, with all my friends. So I had one of my really good friends. Um, I take her heels class all the time and I really love her style. So I just asked her, Hey, do you want to do a dance class for my birthday? And I'm just going to invite all my friends. And that's what we did. It was really, really fun because I just love to dance and I love to share that experience with my friends, especially if I just go to dance class regularly. If I have a friend there, I just, I feel like, oh, yay, you know, just more excited to take the class. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I said this to you already, but I'm going to say it again for all of my listeners. I think, and obviously they can't hear you because this is an uh, CU because it's an audio format, but -hmm. you are one of the most like physically embodied people I've ever met. Thank you. I love to hear that. I mean, that makes me feel good. (laughs) Um, So tell me a little bit about your journey with spirituality and we can maybe um, cruise into some of the other work that you do. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's through my abuse, you know, as a child, um, I think I always felt deep down inside that there was a purpose and a reason for all of this and be more specific when I was 16 years old. So my cousin groomed me at 12 years old um, to start stripping. And I mean, not like, she's not like when I was 11, like, Hey, you're going to strip, but you know, she just started grooming me, making me feel really good about myself, giving me so many compliments. And then me being a dancer, just always complimenting on me on my dance style. And then when I was 15, she took, she took me to my very first strip club. And, you know, from being a survivor of abuse and meeting somebody who you essentially look up to, someone who's giving you attention, I was like, okay, I'm going to do whatever she says because she loves me. Um, so when I was 15, she took me to my very first strip club and I was kind of like, oh my God, what world is this? And, you know, these women walking out on stage and these men just looking at these women and, you know, I felt like they had so much power. So the first time that, so when she's like, okay, when you turn 16, you're going to start stripping. and you know, she took me to the strip club in Orange County, dropped me off. She gave me everything, what to wear, what to say. So I met the manager. I went 
all the way to the back and he's like, okay, you know, get ready. And then you're going to go on stage. So I sat there and I was like, how the hell did I get here? And I always really felt connected, like very intuitive with certain things. And I just like closed my eyes and like took a few deep breaths, you know, and then I was just asking, okay, what is my purpose? And I honestly felt like this rush and, you know, goosebumps all over my body. And I felt like there's a reason why you're here. Just keep going. And I got you. And I just, right when the DJ was calling my name to go on stage, like I felt like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I know that there's a, a purpose for all of this. I knew that there was a reason why I was here. And um, from that moment on, I just knew that now running a nonprofit and writing a memoir and everything where my life is now, I'm like, oh, okay. It's for, you know, helping others, inspiring others and teaching girls and women, even boys and men how to really feel comfortable in your own skin and really owning your body and having that connection within yourself so that's that was when I knew at 16 that was a long story but yeah no that that's really powerful and very beautiful um I often think about you know how in ancient times, like, I don't know if you know anything about uh, the Vestal Virgins um, in like ancient Rome and Greece, but there used no. to be um, these temples that these like priestesses would basically live in and they would keep candles burning all day and night. I think it's actually Rome. It's not Greece. And um, what would happen was they were called virgins, not because they were actual virgins. They were called virgins because they remained unmarried and they would live in these temples and they would dance and create sort of like flower arrangements and just like stay in this exclusively feminine space. And oftentimes when like men would come back from war, they would um, dance with them, have sex with them, basically take the anger and the war out of them and move them back into a feminine space. And obviously we don't have anything like that now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really do feel like in some cases um, that is like frontlines energy work on kind of like an interdimensional level. Like even, you know, if it's dark, uh, Mm -hmm. there's not really another space where like men go to sort of see femininity but obviously the the problem arises when these spaces are unsafe or there's you know people who are underage and I think it's um a symptom of a of a massive sexual wound that that we're facing collectively at the moment Mm -hmm. but that's really really powerful yeah Uh, how does it feel to kind of be in a field where like the phrase sex sex trafficking is is alarming, you know, and, and there's a lot of sort of political controversy and bypassing and overlooking of probably what I think personally is one of the most vital subjects of our time. Um, how does it feel to kind of work in, in that field? And um, do you find that people are receptive to talking about it or is it kind of, you get back the fluoride stare 
people kind of want to glaze over such subjects? Well, I mean, obviously, I feel like when I bring up the subject, when we started in 2014, I think it's also the work that I've that I've done with myself. When I first started, I would kind of hesitate with the work that I was doing. And once I projected that onto somebody who wanted to know about us, I think they would feel very like uncomfortable with the conversation and just really didn't want to talk about it, which made me feel very resistant. So now I'm very empowered because obviously I had to do so much healing and I continued to heal and work on myself every single day. Um, it's like, there's no breaks because you're always evolving and changing. And now that I feel more empowered talking about it, people want to talk about it. They want to start the conversation. They're just like, I, I didn't know that it happened in the States. And I'm like, yes, it happens, you know, right next door. And so me feeling more confident, empowered has definitely changed the narrative and people want to talk about it and learn more about it, which gives me more confidence to speak out about it. And, you know, I never thought that I was trafficked until I started doing research and, you know, trainings about sex trafficking, all types of trafficking, labor trafficking. And then I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what my cousin did because she took all of my money and I was making money for her. And I felt so proud, like, oh, I made $400 today. And she's like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then she would take my money and just give me $20. So it wasn't until really healing and doing the research and being like, wow, this, this really happened. And, you know, so me being not aware of it, really sharing it with others. And they kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. This happened to me, but I didn't know that this happened to me until we started talking about it. And, you know, other survivors, you know, talking to me about like, oh my God, this happened to me. And I thought it was normal. And so if anything, I feel so empowered now talking about it and educating people. And I just want to keep doing more. I feel like I'm not doing enough. So... I mean, it's really interesting that you talk about having sort of like the apex of this moment that started this trajectory down what people would deem a sort of dark journey. Mm -hmm. You you know, hearing you say, okay, as soon as I got on stage, I felt God, almost like being able to, to understand sort of that your process through the experience of this trauma would then, you know, it acted as almost an initiation in order to help other people. Um, mm-hmm. I really do believe that trauma in some ways is an initiation if, you know, to, to healing, basically, like you can't be a healer without having experienced something yourself, you know, very, very powerful Absolutely. at this point. So how did you manage to sort of get out of it? Um, I remember I was 27. I was going to be 28 years old. and for some reason, all, it was just like memories and flashes of everything that I've experienced from abuse from men taking advantage of me. And from my perspective of stripping, I always felt like I had the power. I had the power over these men. They're giving me their money. And 
And I just felt like that was really empowering for me. But then once I started to do therapy and working on myself, I was like, wait, I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like I'm giving away my body again. I'm letting these people borrow my body. And it, I just was so disconnected from my body that I just felt like I needed to get out of the industry. And through that month, I felt my customers were being rude to me. I remember I was giving one of my customers a lap dance and he, I was, he was sitting down obviously. And then I was like kind of sitting down my back towards him and like, he wrapped his arms around me and, and I, and he was like squeezing me really tight. And I was like, you know, there's no touching. And he's like, you know, shut the fuck up. Oh, sorry. Can I say that? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. He's like, you know, I own you. And I'm like, you don't own me. And he's like, I paid for you. I own you right now. And he was a really nice, sweet man. I mean, compared to a lot of the other men that I've met in the club, but he like, I just, I was like, I can't do this. And once I like, you know, took my hands and like pushed him, you know, off of me, I was like, you can't fucking touch me. And I was just so pissed. I was just like, I felt like the devil's advocate almost, you know, when their faces changed, like, I, that's exactly how I felt. I felt like all these customers, especially dancers, because I do feel like I, you know, grew up in the strip club. So even the dancers, it's just like, I just felt these like demons almost. And I was like, I have to get out of here. Like, I can't, this isn't who I am anymore. Like something was telling me I needed to get out. And I just cold turkey stopped stripping, which was was not a good plan for me because I was so dependent on the money and I was making so much money that really stopping cold turkey really like affected my financial, like where I had to move out and I had to sell my car and just, so I really didn't have a good plan at that time, but I was just like, I need to get the hell out of here. So that was like, kind of like the turning point where I just needed to transition. I needed a shift. I needed to meet other women who were inspiring me because I was just, I needed to get out of there. What do you feel like it was like to sort of see, uh, like mass, you know, the masculine in those spaces? Like, do you feel like it changed and altered your perception of men? Cause I mean, it's, you know, you're seeing them in, in quite vulnerable, you know, you're quite vulnerable. And I think it's, it's, a an environment that is, um, you know, embraces masculine shadow. Oh my God. Absolutely. I think I would feel when you can basically, I think being a stripper is like being their therapist, yeah, being their nurse and talking to them and having compassion for them. And just like, you know, be their healers. It's like, after that, I was like, no, like you're draining me. You're taking my energy. And I didn't feel compassionate for them anymore. I just felt like they were just sucking my energy and I just couldn't, I couldn't be that person that I was before. Like I was definitely shifting and changing and it's just, it's, it's like I needed to take off my layer of skin because it just wasn't who I was anymore. And I couldn't be this person for these men anymore. 
I needed to take care of myself. Like I was done taking care of these men, you know, and the women in the strip club and the managers. And so. Wow. What a beautiful, like microcosm of like a much greater story that we're all a part of, you know, where it's almost like the, uh, the, you know, the wounded feminine kind of taking her power back and, and using her pain and alchemizing it and, and creating something inclusive for so many people. So um, in terms of you then transitioning and sort of using dance as, as a powerful tool to heal and connect with other people and creating your nonprofit, how did that transition happen? And can you tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, what you're doing now? Yeah. So once I got out of the strip club, I wanted to, like, I think the, I basically, grew up in a place where society judges women so it was really hard to disengage and really cut off that part of me in the in the strip club world because outside of the world I didn't know who the hell I was um because I grew up there so I started to go on like Facebook and look for women's groups or other women that I can get inspired with. Like I just needed something that would feel that I would feel connected to. So I actually joined a nonprofit called women empowered and I met other entrepreneurs and spiritual women who were, you know, the things that they've been through, they found a way to connect and change and shift their life and help others. So I, so she knew that I was a dancer. I honestly felt like I didn't know what to do. And she, you know, the, the founder was like, well, what are you good at? I'm like, well, I'm good at dancing, but that's all that I knew what to do. So, um, I just, I started teaching at an after school program for girls who, instead of going home, they would go to this, um, the center and I started teaching dance and I didn't really remember how dance was really empowering for me until I thought of um, my past where I my parents split up when I was 13 years old and I didn't dance anymore because I was dancing my whole life and I felt really uncomfortable in my own body I was going to high school and I tried to uh, end my life twice and it was because I wasn't dancing. I didn't have the outlet to express myself. So when I started doing these after-school programs and saw how much these girls were healing and feeling comfortable in their body and having so much fun and excited to dance, even though they weren't professional dancers, um, I knew that I was onto something and my first nonprofit that I worked with was children of the night. And once that program and ended, I knew that I wanted to do more. So that's when I started. She is in 2014 and we have taught over I think 800 girls and it's been slow since COVID. So, um, that transition has been a little bit difficult because we are not as te- we're not teaching as much, and you know we have done a mission trip to Southeast Asia. Wow. I've gone to Mexico. I've gone to Haiti, and 
just teaching dance and it's just been so beautiful to see and transform these girls and you know these girls that felt so ashamed of their body in two weeks that we've taught with them every single day twice a day I connected with these girls and do um circle where I would sit them in a circle and we had a translator because they didn't really speak English and just see them grow and change and feel more comfortable in their skin and really connect to their body again. Wow. Rewarding. Yeah. My God. I mean, dance. I, I love to dance, (laughs) (laughs) but it really is like, you know, it's, it's energy work. You're moving stagnation around. I think I may have already shared this with you, but I went through like a really bad breakup um, in Scotland. I I used to live on this eco village and it wasn't necessarily that the breakup was terrible, but I was in a lot of pain and grief about it and a lot Mm -hmm. of anger. And I remember just like something came over me and I spent like a week in my living room just dancing and moving and sort of like taking the frustration and the pain. And a lot of it was also like shocked like feminine kind of erotic. I felt like I was fanning myself out and like playing with my magnetism and, and moving things around. And I swear to God, it, it got, you know, it, it moved that heaviness and that heartache out of my, out of my body, out of my meridians, you know, it, it really felt like it changed something. And, um, I also just think that that to dance is like inherently lunar, therefore like inherently feminine. And I personally have spent a lot of my life like occupying spaces where, you know, I get to dance, you know, socially, whether it's like a nightclub or I was at line dancing the other day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I and I think that it really um, it really anchors you back into the body and there's such a sort of like psyop and spiritual community where it's all about like getting outside of your body, like moving further up, which is, you know, like those are valid. Like I think channeling and, and doing like more subtle energy work is valid, but like ultimately like our body is where it's at, you know, like earth is here. Like we are custodians of the earth just because we have physical vessels. And I think that when we alchemize, some of this grief, which like to water it down is like the pain of the unconscious masculine and uh, you know, and how it's sort of impacted all of us. We, we do that not just for ourselves, but for, for the earth, you know, because we're not Mm -hmm. separate. I agree 100%. So true. What is your like, would you identify as, as a witch? I, remember you telling me that you do tarot fairly often I don't do tarot I know I just I like when people do it for me (laughs) 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 um I just I just believe that I'm a spiritual being and I'm here put by the universe to heal others um I do a lot of like Reiki, breath work. Remember, I was talking to you about breath work and meditation. I actually, my grew up, my parents are Buddhist, so my dad would always go to the temples and chant and meditate. Even though I was young then, they were always meditating, and I just could not sit still. But now that I'm older, obviously, like I love it so much. So 
now I feel like, oh, I'm kind of like my dad because I do meditate and um, yeah, I just, I'm, I, I remember you saying like, I'm, you know, I have a lot of like psychic energy and I just, I've never really tapped into that. Like I said, I like when people do it for me. Yeah, no, it can be hard. I, I try, I try not to read for myself because I don't know when I'm projecting. It's why psychics need psychics for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the other thing that you do is burlesque, correct? Mm-hmm. I think that burlesque is like one of the most beautiful art forms. Um, cause it's almost like the study of attention, right? Like you're, you're kind of, you can't see me, but I'm like moving my hands. <laughs> I can feel you moving. Yeah. Um, kind of studying attention and how it sort of like drifts and moves and, and working once again with receptivity and magnetism and, and all of that, that stuff. I was taking a uh, burlesque class um, about a year ago um, in Crenshaw. I found out on class pass. It was like very, very random. And it was really beautiful and empowering. It was really beautiful and empowering. But so you're also, you're also doing burlesque, correct? Yes. I, you know, people always mistake stripping and burlesque. They think it's the same thing. It's kind of is, but it's not. Um, For me, burlesque was extremely empowering because it really changed the way I felt about myself. And I think burlesque healed me. It definitely made me feel more connected to myself. Know that if anything, these people should be lucky and honored to see me dancing this way and, you know, seductively and, um, and, you know, I do teach burlesque to other women and I want women to feel connected to their body. I, I, what's the, you know, it's such a beautiful thing to feel confident and know that this body is our body and we can do whatever the hell we want to our body and, you know, touch ourselves and feel good about ourselves. I, that's what I really, really love with burlesque. And also there's like a, a playfulness with it. So there's so many different aspects to burlesque dancing. And it definitely really changed the way that I feel about myself. I can't mix the two with my nonprofit and burlesque because I know society and how, because I've dealt with that before. So it's been really hard. Even you know, when people see me do burlesque and, you know, obviously it's a mirror reflection on how they feel, but, um, if I could mix the two, I totally would, but I just, Uh, yeah, that's, that's really unfortunate. I think you've mentioned that to me before, just that people can't like comprehend the nuance of you actively trying to empower young women and being a survivor of sexual you know, trafficking and then (laughs) reclaiming that power. That's Mm -hmm. very, very irritating. It's really irritating. And it's just people judge you automatically. And, and, you know, when I do talk to nonprofits and I meet them on Instagram and sometimes I feel like when they look at my Instagram, they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to work with her because she does this, which is like really unfortunate because if anything, I've experienced all aspects 
of sexual abuse, trafficking, you know, exchanging money, all of that. So who better to teach than somebody who's experienced all these things rather than somebody who, you know, has a, has a nonprofit and working with these girls, which I think is empowering also and really want to help them and heal them and, but have never experienced those things. I think when we're mentioning in the beginning, it's like, I've experienced all these things. So wouldn't you want somebody who's experienced to help? So there's always that line that I just feel like I can't cross sometimes. In your opinion, like what has been the most effective healing method for you when recovering from sexual trauma? To be honest, I think it's burlesque. Yeah. It really, I mean, also. I just got chills when you said that. (laughs) Yeah, because it's taking back my power. It's taking back ownership of my body and connecting with every heart inside of me and knowing my, knowing my worth. And I just got chills too. I just, oh, you know, I feel so connected to myself. And, you know, when I teach my classes, I feel so connected to these women also. And what an empowering feeling to know, like, fuck yeah. Like I own my body. I feel comfortable in my body and I don't care what anybody else thinks. So I really do feel like through this sexual trauma that I have, less has really helped me 100%. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And then, you know, obviously like working in community and, and, you know, being able to sort of offer your experience, strength and hope to people who need it, you know, really divine. So how do you feel like this, because it's really overlooked and like, I just wonder on like an energetic level, how basically like the shadow of sexual trafficking, the fact that it's happening all over the world um, and it's not being addressed. How do you feel like it impacts like the earth collectively, you know, the collective psyche, like what can like we as individuals do to kind of shine light? on these topics and, you know, the situation. I mean, this has been going on for centuries. Yeah. Um, Obviously now we have social media, the, you know, all the media outlets to raise awareness. I do feel like a lot of things are coming to the surface right now, which is incredible. And people want to look away, but you can't look away because it's in your face. So I think just really educating yourself and the word of mouth and educating others and letting them know, you know, what's going on. You know, like I said, you know, when I first started, she is, I was so afraid to talk about the issue. And now that I'm talking about it more, people are so interested in what's going on, how they, how they can help. And you know, just really talking about this. And if it feels uncomfortable, I'm good. It, it should be uncomfortable, it. It but should. let's fucking talk about it and do yeah. something. And yeah. it's just like, would you want this happening to your daughter or your son? Oh no. Oh my God. Like, okay, well then what, what can you do to help? Talk about it. Talk to your kids about it. And I, you know, there's trainings that I've gone 
to where, you know, talk to your kids at a young age. If they can say ear and, you know, milk, they should learn about their body parts and what's going on. And this is what they tell us. And this is what they teach us when I do these trainings, but people are so afraid to talk about it. And, you know, we can talk about other things, but wait, why can't we talk about this issue? We can't, we can talk about drugs and gun violence. Why can't we talk about sex trafficking and sexual abuse? So it's really changing the narrative and really just opening up and discussing these things. Like we just have to fucking do it. So Yeah. I mean, I think that sexuality is like one of the most powerful forces in the universe, right? Like it has the ability to create, you know, you can experience awakening through sex. And and I think in the same vein, probably like nearly everybody has some type of like ancestral sexual trauma that needs addressing. And maybe that's kind of why people avoid it, you know, but, Mm -hmm. um, I had this like really intense, I think I've told you this too, but I had this like really intense dream. The most disturbing dream I've ever had in my entire life. It was like six months ago. And it was the only dream I've ever had where I wasn't in a physical body. Like I was basically like an orb and I was like taken underground, like under the spa. And I was like witnessing these like horrific crimes against children And I was like this thought form and it was like, I like went through, I I was like so close to the pain and it was so absolutely excruciating. And it felt like I was trying to sort of get this information or energy out of this like very dark, dense space. And I woke up and I woke up and I was, I was like dry heaving. I was crying uncontrollably. I kept asking, you know, I kept asking spirit, like, why are you showing me this? Like, why do I need to see this? Why do I need to witness this? Is this, you know, a dream? Is this real? What's going on? And I reached out to my teachers um, about it and they were like, yeah, I mean, this is like very, very common uh, with like people on a spiritual path having to sort of like look at that shadow um, because it is happening and it is part of, if it's part of anyone's story, it's part of the collective story. Um, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's very, very important to kind of learn how to have dialogues about this. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, yeah. I would freak out if I had, I mean, I'm happy that you talked about it because that's the thing is like, fuck, I had a dream like this. This is really happening. And it, and it is, you know, and feeling like that really happened. Yes, that happened. Yeah. 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 So when you, the people that you work with, are they just, are you just educating them on, on this sort of thing? Or do you also work with like other victims as well? Survivors? Yeah. I mean, we all, we only work with survivors, Um, you know, especially in Southeast Asia. I, this is interesting. one of the girls that, so after we teach dance and, you know, when, once I share my story with the girls, they automatically want to share their story and what they've been through because they look at me and they're like, wait, that happened to you. That happened to me too. And this is what happened. And so we would do one-on-one sessions with the girls. And then the translator, one girl said a psychic 
told her mom to sell her. What? And yes, yeah. The psychic told her to sell her. So, and they're very spiritual over there. And so she sold her daughter to her uncle. And then the uncle dropped her off at a KTV to work and started working there and giving money to the mom and the psychic. It was a crazy story. One girl, her dad sold her for a TV, which is very common. Um, So you hear these stories. You're like, I, I feel so small listening to them. And, and it's so heartbreaking to hear these stories. And sometimes I wish the whole world can hear these, which they'll, you know, little pieces they can hear, you know, these girls, we have to protect them as much as we can. So it's really hard. Like we can't put them on social media or anything like that. I mean, I can tell bits and pieces of their stories, but I never want to be so intrusive to them either. Like I want them to feel safe with me and trust me. Um, But these stories are fucking ridiculous. I'm like, I cannot believe it. And it's okay. It's okay that their parents do this. It's like their parents feel empowered by selling their daughters. And also a thing that I've learned in Southeast Asia, when the little boy, like you'll see a lot of young boys running around naked and, you know, so what their parents will do if they get aggressive or they scream or they go crazy, their parents will play with their pee-pee mm-hmm. and to relax them and to make them feel good. Mm-hmm. Now, when they get older, when they're angry and frustrated and mad, they go to the KTV and they take out this anger and this frustration out on these young girls because they're brought up and raised that way. Dude. Yeah. That's really heavy. I was, I was actually like talking uh, to a friend of mine about, he's like a guy and, and he was like circumcised. I think like in his teens because he wasn't circumcised as a child and so he became like really passionate about like shining a light on circumcision even which is like also kind of a sexual trauma because the baby is aroused and isn't given any like painkiller and this is happening everywhere in America like constantly apparently Mm -hmm. every like seven seconds um you know, and I arguably that's kind of a sexual trauma too. And apparently it sort of affects the, the brain patterning of a baby and like puts them, exalts them in like fight or flight trauma response. And then to sort of like associate that kind of like core wounding and like the, the argument is, well, if you're before the age of three, you can't remember it. But if you're looking at it from like a shamanic perspective, like most of our core wounds actually happen during that period of time um you know and I think that that sex is an energy exchange and if you have that like deep rooted core aggression or rage you know it can kind of be a way to like enforce pain on another person and make them alchemize it you know it's it's heavy heavy shit Mm -hmm. I know when I was listening to one of your podcasts, you were talking about the energy exchange with another person when you're intimate with them. And I was like, fuck, like all the men that 
I gave lap dances to and taking their energy. And I mean, I kind of thought about it before, but not in depth the way that you were explaining it, where I was like, shit, I really needed to get that out of my body. Yeah, for sure. I am taking yeah, but also like that could also be like your like interdimensional calling could be like, okay, like you connected with all of these different energies and now you, you know, I don't know if you know this, but women can keep the DNA of the men that they sleep with and DNA follows something called linguistic, like it has a linguistic code to it. So you could potentially be a, like waking them up and healing them just by like getting at, you know, dancing it out and healing yourself, you know, in the same vein as well. Okay. I like that better. And I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was, you know, that it's exactly what you were talking about the whole DNA and how much it stays in our body. And I was like, Oh my God, um, yeah. let me go get Reiki done or acupuncture, get it out of my body. Yeah. I was like, I used to be so sort of like, uh, cause I, cause I like kind of figured out that I was intuitive or psychic because I slept with someone and I like, knew what their next month was going to look like. And I wasn't really into the person. <laughs> I was like, what? what? I was like, what's happening? So I started doing uh, like sweats after, after I would, I would have sex. I would go do like an infrared sauna or I, you know, my, my new thing is Yoni steams. Um, what's that? Oh my God. You basically like sit um, on a like crock pot um, and you, use herbs typically it's going to be like mugwort um demania um what else uh wormwood and you basically heat up this pot with herbs in it and then mm-hmm. you place it underneath your vagina like sit and it the steam cleans out your womb and oh, wow I, yeah there's a place in um Hugh Spa in K-Town has it. It's like 30 bucks and you can go and you wear these like really ridiculous robes and like sit (laughs) and, and just like kind of let the, the steam heal you. And it's interesting because it's like a very receptive healing exercise because you're not actually doing anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you just kind of have to like sit and surrender to the experience but I did it. And, um, the first time I did it, although I was on a little bit of mushrooms and I swear to you, I like saw God, I felt this like incredible power, this like pure, like creative, like connection, this like really intense surge of energy kind of like rise up inside of me. Um, and it was really healing because I was having a lot of issues with, um, my cycle and kind of like my womb. And I think like I myself have been like in a lot of ways, like villainized in terms of like labeled a, you know, a witch, a slut, a whore, a bitch, whatever. Like I think any well-rounded woman has at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I endured a lot of sexual shame at a very early age from, my parents and, and when I was kind of exploring my sexuality, there was no discussion around it. And I think that it really kind of, um, 
it either got me into trouble or kind of provoked rage from, you know, internalized misogyny from other women. Um, and it was very, very healing for me to, to do that. It definitely changed, changed shit. And, you know, we hold so much power in our womb too. It's like, especially when I teach for less, you know, I always tell them like, this is where we hold all of our power. So really opening up your hips and moving through that movement and through your womb, you know? So I think, you know, you experiencing that is so powerful because we hold all of our power there. Yeah. It's also like the same. I think that it's like our, it's our, our intuitive faculty and our creative faculty are kind of the same muscle. Like you mentioned that that psychic had said, you know, basically orchestrated some type of like sexual trafficking. I have like cut out for the most part going to see like psychics who put anything into the future. Cause I think that all psychics are basically doing is like creating a timeline for us that we like then go and create, you know, seek out because we're looking for it. And I think that the muscle of intuition and creation is like the sacral chakra. It's the same thing. And like when we intuit that something negative is going to happen, are we just recreating an old template? So like that kind of womb healing, I think really does clear a lot of that stuff out. Mm-hmm. How do you need to send me the place information? So I, I, can will. Go. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Um, you can also do it at home. It's not that complicated, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, actually it's kind of complicated. You have to like get like a pot and put it on a toilet. It's like a whole ordeal. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I would rather just go to the place. Yeah. How do you feel like, um, like one of the things that I've really been focused on is like my own internalized, like misogyny and my own, like, um, like trying to dismantle misogyny in, in like within myself so that I kind of stop perceiving it externally or looking for it externally all the time. How do you feel like, um, that plays a role in, in, you know, sexual trafficking, sexual abuse, and sort of like the lack of communication between women um about it I think when I first started stripping at 16 I was very naive to a lot of things that you know I was a junior and senior in high school when I started stripping so I remember my cousin telling me when you turn 18 you're not going to strip anymore and I was like okay she's like I don't want you to be like these sluts or whores or, and I never heard her talk bad about other women. And it really confused me because when I met these women in the strip club, they're just human beings trying to make a living. So I didn't see them in like a whore or slut mentality. I just saw them as they were. Yeah. When I really got into stripping, oh my God, I, there was a time where I thought I was the shit. And if women ever, the things that, the things that when I started stripping, like, I remember that I started dancing on a weeknight or it was like a Saturday night. And this one girl, I accidentally played her song, Enigma. Do you know Enigma? No. No. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, she just like 
went up to my face and she started yelling at me and, you know, calling me all these things. And then I became that person and I just didn't see anything. Any woman, especially if they were new coming to the strip club, I was like, you know, hated her already, didn't like her. And then I just became separate from everyone in the strip club before I felt like it was a huge, like it was a community. I felt supported by these women. And then, you know, then I just became so separate and I just, you know, was competition and don't get in my face. Don't talk to my customer. Like, but then also was how I felt about myself. It's like, I hated myself. I didn't like myself. And, you know, so was that the answer to the yeah, question? No, because I don't know. I was like, no, what? absolutely. No, completely. I mean, like, obviously I, ha- I haven't had the same experience, you know, the, the same experience as you per se, but I definitely have, have seen how like the competition and sort of like, even just like the tr- transactional um, nature of a lot of like unhealed masculine energy, like how like other women can internalize that and stop seeing each other as sort of sisters or, you know, being open and honest with each other and instead kind of moving into a space of extreme competition. Like, I don't think that I had like really healthy female relationships until I had my spiritual awakening. Um, other than that, it was like, I needed to be on top. I needed to be, uh, the prettiest I needed to, you know, I saw other people as uh, other women as competitors and sort of not these like ornate mystical beings that they are Mm -hmm. in my mind now, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I learned not to judge anybody, especially in the strip club because these women, you know, I had this person say to me, oh, you know, strippers are manipulative and evil and they just want your money. And obviously it came from a man mm-hmm. and it really pissed me off because I think I've learned never to judge any women, especially in the strip club, because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they've experienced and, you know, just an ignorant person judging somebody, but it's mostly how they feel about themselves. So, you know, we're all on our own journey and our spiritual growth and our purpose. And if I feel like I am starting to judge, which I don't think I really do anymore, but I don't know, maybe from the outside, they see it or whatever. I really try to take my back to the time when you know, I met these amazing women in the club and how they opened my eyes to just them just being a human being, just, you know, trying to be in this world. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you have your, your sort of like own spiritual growth has accelerated the past few years? Um, Obviously we've kind of like had some earth shattering changes to the structures that we live in. But I think there's also been like a lot of like solar flares and astrological initiations. And we're kind of like on a huge acceleration presently of like um, dismantling, you know, toxic dynamics, dismantling parasitic dynamics. 
do you feel like that's been happening to you in your own life personally? Um, yes, I, I do. I feel like we are definitely going backwards, but maybe everything in the world has to happen right now because if there's this, I don't, I don't know, this hatred towards women, like, especially what we're going through now. I mean, it has affected me a lot and how to keep peace in mind, but whole, I'm praying that everything that's happening in the world will have a cause and effect. So, um, is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, I've been thinking about this too, cause it definitely feels like we're revisiting old, like things that I, you know, I thought we were kind of past deciding what women do with their bodies. I even like the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp ritual <laughs> or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. that was like, w- like witnessing like, like these like incels on the internet and like seeing in my own like communities, there's kind of like a lack of like, like healed masculinity and, and just seeing that misogyny is alive and well, you know, it it Mm -hmm. is, it is everywhere. But one of the things that like, uh, you know, spirit or, or my guides kind of like told me were, this is so that we can revisit this buried trauma um, and kind of work through it quicker because it does kind of feel like we are going backwards in time in so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's an opportunity to kind of like revisit where some of these wounds exist within our bodies and exist within us, you know, and, and try and remain in that empowered state of like, okay, like what am I going to energetically give attention to? Am I going to sort of like feed narratives of disempowerment or how can I like do basically what you did, which is like reframe a traumatizing experience and alchemize it into an actual superpower that that ena- enables you to communicate and help other people. Mm-hmm. It's just so disappointing that we are revisiting this, and you know, my I mean, I love the fact that my dad's really into this stuff because you know we can just get angry and yell and, ah, you know, let it out. And, you know, but it is very disappointing that, you know, these, you know, I don't want to talk about politics, but, you know, it's, it just really pisses me off because I'm like, well, what if it happened to your kid? What would you do? What if, you know, and maybe it does, but they are successful. They have, you know, they can, do whatever they want. But when it comes to, you know, these other people who can't, it's just, well, are you going to pay for the healthcare? Are you, you just so many things. And it's just like, fuck, like I had an abortion when I was 16 and it was forced and my parents were there and they supported me and they were there for me. And, you know, and these other you know, girls, they don't have that chance. And, you know, so a lot of that old, you know, trauma, like just came back up when I would read, you know, what was happening to these young girls, and they had to go somewhere else to get an abortion. It's just like, I don't know, just, I mean, just the emotional and experience of, of having to do it in a way that is like inconvenient and difficult and 
makes you already like an experience that is already hard sort of make making it more like almost impressing more shame upon the experience is just Mm -hmm. evil I mean it's we're the gatekeepers of of life like let us do whatever the fuck we want you know it's Mm -hmm. I I so many of my clients were so unbelievably upset and and triggered and disappointed in um how you know certain people were sort of addressing it or handling it but I definitely think that like in terms of the astrology of what was going on we have Lilith which is the shadow feminine which is kind of like basically some of the things that we've been talking about it's you know the shadow side of sexuality and it's also like our repressed emotional nature and our emotional needs and while a lot of this was happening this asteroid Lilith was in conjunction to the new moon in cancer and it definitely, I think, has jump-started a cycle where we get to look at the repressed feminine because we have these like archetypes or like pedestalized tropes of what femininity is. And it's either like, you know, you know, a Madonna or sort of like a an Eve archetype of like a prepubescent girl who's sort of like receptive and doesn't speak her mind. And I think that like for me that's not what femininity is. Femininity is mm-hmm. truth, you know, and it is nonlinear and it is encompass all encompassing and it, it's learning how to occupy nuance and gray areas. And it definitely feels like the gender of the planet is going through like a, a polarity switch where like we're entering a feminine age, whether or not some of the, the, the people playing certain roles know it, know it, you know, um, which means that, it's becoming more and more important to honor the emotional, to honor the intuition, to remember that physical reality is a a product of non-physical reality. We're energetic beings first. We're spiritual beings first. We're learning how to have a human experience, have a physical experience, but that is a product of this much greater shared collective psyche that has been confined and the more you sort of like repress it and confine it and try and stampede it down the louder and the more chaotic tangible physical reality becomes and I think that like that level that's misogyny on like a like a a, there's like you know that's like sacred misogyny when we deny healing our trauma or processing our wounds or acknowledging um the non-physical as well you know and and it's uh it's definitely going to be a theme. <laughs> wow, that was like beautifully said. Beautifully said. Thank you. Do you have any upcoming product uh, projects or closing notes? Um, let's see. Well, I did write a memoir about my life. So, you know, Natasha's not my name. Wow. Um, that's, you know, available. Um, where, where can so, you I mean, help? I got Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can just Google Natasha's not my name. And Natasha is actually the name my cousin gave me, which is my, her daughter's middle name. Cause we didn't know what name to give me. So she's like, how about Natasha? I'm like, isn't that Taylor's middle? Oh, wait, <laughs> am I allowed to say? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, that was her middle name. Um, and then you know, you can just look up our nonprofit. She is powerful.org. 
Um, we just did a documentary, so we're trying to distribute that right now or find a distributor, but our sizzle reel is there and you can see the work that we do. Um, I wish you guys can see more of what we do. It's just a little bit hard because we really try to protect these girls. Um, and you know, I'll definitely let you know when I have burlesque classes. Oh my God. In the meantime, I will be doing it in the confines of my bedroom for um you're not gonna come to the class no I will I'm saying like in between then like I'll just be doing it oh my bedroom um so just like out of curiosity have you spoken to your cousin like you know where is she now is she is she um still a part of your life what what is that where did that kind of land so um, I do not talk to her. I think uh, I remember calling her when I was 22 and I w- was just like spiral- spiraling down. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just very confused. And I just like asked her why she got me into stripping because I was, that was my world. And I didn't know how to separate myself from the strip club world. It was like, that was my life. And then if I was to go to the grocery store or do normal shit, like I felt weird. I felt exposed. And so I was just like a walking ball of shame. Yeah. Um, so I asked her why she got me into that. And then she was like, you know, you could have done whatever you wanted. You could have said no, but you didn't say no. And I was like, but I was 15 when you told me that I was going to do this. And she's like, you could have said no. And that was it. And I was like, what? Like just so oblivious, didn't take responsibility, but her husband, which is my real cousin, because she's my cousin by marriage, um, my aunt, she read my memoir last year and she said, sorry, she apologized for them, for what they did to me. And it felt, I felt validated because I think nobody wanted to, especially coming from my family. Um, you know, my parents know that I have this nonprofit and they're so proud of me, but then they don't want to talk about the issue. So for her to say that really like this heaviness that I felt carrying for so long was like lifted. And just by her saying that, I just felt, yeah, I just felt validated. So, but right now I know that she thinks that she's on this spiritual journey from what I hear and she meditates and she just, yeah, she feels like she's centered. I don't know. She bypassed it, she bypassed it and dressed it in a spiritual costume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. Wow. What a beautiful, empowering journey and story. I'm definitely going to check out your book. I will see you at a burlesque class for sure. Thank you so much for your time. You. This was amazing. I could talk to you for hours. Oh, you're so sweet.